Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Clear and Convincing, the show that looks at criminal cases from the perspective of the courts, not the court of public opinion. We're Lisa O'Brien, podcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana, where carnival season is in full swing and the Audubon Zoo has welcomed two new lion cubs to its pride. The cubs, born January 11th to Mom Callie and Dad Arnold, will stay behind the scenes and bond with Mom before being introduced to the rest of the pride and the public. And with me is Michael Carnahan from Little Rock, Arkansas, where Governor Asa Hutchison, three of his predecessors, and family members of former governors marked the 70th anniversary of the opening of the governor's mansion. In addition to swapping stories about their time in the People's House, First Lady Susan Hutchinson unveiled a Christmas ornament that will be sold to raise money for the mansion. Thank you for joining us for episode 48 of Clear and Convincing, State of Florida versus Doris Donegan Moore. In April 2009, lottery winner Abraham Shakespeare disappeared from his home in Polk County, Florida. Friends and family initially received uncharacteristic text messages and conflicting stories about his whereabouts and reasons for leaving from Doris Didi Moore. Moore's lies and plots unraveled and Abraham's body was found behind a house purchased by Dee Dee and titled in her boyfriend's name. We're joined tonight by retired journalist Marissa Green, who's covered the story starting with Abraham, Abraham's lottery win. Miss Green is likely the only journalist to have interviewed both Abraham and his killer, Dee Dee Moore. We'll talk about Abraham, his lottery win, his benevolence, and his meeting with the woman who wormed her way into his life offered to help him, and took him for everything he had left. We are a live show, and as always, calls are welcome. Our phone number is 347-989-1171. And good evening, Michael. Good evening, Lisa. Man, that that was quite dark, that end. Took him for everything he had left. Wow. Yes, I've been reading a lot about Miss Dee Dee Moore in the last two weeks, and we'll get into that late, a little bit later. Um, we're still waiting for Marissa to join us. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And uh, while while we wait, uh, we do have a few updates on some of the cases. Um, in Dahlia DiPolito's case, 
the state of Florida has waived filing opposition or response to her request to the U.S. Supreme Court for a writ for the U.S. Supreme Court to review her uh, conviction on the issue of the uh, objective entrapment defense. So uh, the case now, the U.S. Supreme Court just has to decide whether they're going to accept the writ or not. Okay, they may request so a response. Is that normal? For yeah, there's this. Say screw it. Go ahead and have it. Um, you know the state. I believe um, sometimes the state doesn't follow it because they they just don't feel it's necessary. Okay. I mean, follow response because it's just not necessary. Um, so they're you know they're not going to follow response unless one's requested by the court. Now the oh. court may request one. We don't know. Okay. And uh, it seems like they decided her her prior writ on the um, First Amendment issue pretty quickly. So hopefully we'll have a quick decision okay. from them. And then uh, in Liddell Lee's case, the ACLU and Innocence, Innocence Project have filed a suit on behalf of his sister – Patricia Young, seeking DNA testing of evidence in Lee's case. Mm -hmm. The city of Jacksonville has issued a statement saying that it agrees to the testing, but no such statement or order has been filed with the court, so the suit is pending. Uh, There was also a statement from one of the city, I think the city attorney's office that said, oh, wait a second, it's not that simple. So uh, we'll have to see where that goes. Although, once again, I think similar to uh, to the Sedley Alley case, I don't think his sister really has standing to seek DNA testing of evidence in his case. Okay. So, um, but that that's where it's it's pending. I'm going to be keeping an eye. It's filed in Pulaski County, so I'll be keeping an eye on that docket. Now, why do you say and that she doesn't have any – I don't want to say jurisdiction, well, but I guess any rights. Standing. It's or, Yeah, it's standing. Basically, um, okay, let's say I get into a car accident, and I settle my claim. But then you go in and you say, well, I want more money on her behalf. Right. You don't have standing to assert any claim on my behalf. We're not related. We're not married. You're not my parent. And it's kind of the same with, you know, just like the state can't go after Patricia Young to seek restitution for the Reese family or, you know, Charges that uh, for Liddell Lee's imprisonment, his execution, you know, there's no right against her. I don't think she has a right to seek DNA testing on his behalf. Right, okay. And that's that was what it was in, with Sedley Alley. In Sedley Alley, the Tennessee statute grants the right to the convicted party 
but it doesn't that's not a right that survives death and it's not a right that's transferred on death or can be transferred to an estate or members of a family. Okay. So, well, I'll, I'll have to wait and see. And I, I think it's also, you know, once again, it's got to be based on the Arkansas post-conviction DNA testing statutes. Right. So we'll have to see uh, how that plays out. Okay. Makes sense. And finally, in Rodney Reed, Judge Langley has denied Reed's request to have Judge Campbell preside over his proceedings. There has been a new motion and exhibits filed, and I have not obtained copies of those yet, but I will likely do so in the coming weeks. And uh, Reed has announced his intention to appeal the uh, Langley's denial of his motion to have the elected judge in Bastrop County hear the case okay. or hear the post-conviction writ. Um, and then the writ to the United States Supreme Court is still pending. It was on the docket on Friday the 24th of January, but it was relisted for, I think, the sixth or seventh time. Okay. Uh, that could – it could mean that they're not getting a consensus on whether to grant the writ or deny the writ, or refuse the writ, rather. Deny is not proper terminology. Hmm. Or it may simply mean that during their conferences they didn't get to read the case. Okay. Because the the conferences is usually quite a quite a few cases are listed for the conferences. Okay. So, um, so that's still pending. Well, it hasn't been relisted yet for their next conference, which I think is later this month. Hmm. Okay. That's mm-hmm. definitely something to keep our eye and on. And that though. is. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be keeping my eye on it. Yes. Uh, well, no, because he's got uh, he's got another state post conviction writ, so there's going to be another hearing. The judge will issue findings of fact and conclusions of law. Then the Texas Court of Criminal Appeal, Appeal will review those and determine whether or not relief should be granted or denied. Uh-huh. Um, and it's only after that process concludes that Reed would be eligible to get a new date. Uh, he's also appealing the, the dismissal of his federal district court challenge on the DNA testing. Okay. Uh, denial of DNA testing. He's appealing that to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeal. But no briefing schedules or anything like that have been set yet, so. Huh. Okay. All right. Still no Marissa? Still no Marissa. 
All right. Well, what we'll do then is we'll go ahead and get started, and then um, when Marissa joins us, we'll take a break and introduce her. Um, if you've watched, have you watched any of the documentaries or any of the true crime shows? There are multiple true crime shows. I saw a couple that have covered this case. I saw a couple, but honestly, like I don't know whether it was my internet or what, but they were kind of crappy copies. So I couldn't really see. Yeah, I I bought through Prime. Uh, I bought through Prime, and there recently there was um, Murder in the Thirst on BET. Uh huh. Uh, that was that one was pretty good, and then there was, of course, um, there's one called Stranger in My Home, and there's, of course, Snapped. Right. Um, is a great episode. Oh wait, it was on Snapped. And yeah, she was on Snapped. She's on season eleven, episode three. Um, okay. And Marissa Green. Was a, a reporter with the Lakeland Ledger okay. at the time this was going Marissa on. Maybe, uh, maybe calling in. I'm going to check to make oh, sure. Wonderful. Okay, yeah, I think Miss Marissa is on the phone, and I am unmuting oh, her right wonderful. now. Great. Hello. Hi, Marissa. This is Lisa. Hi. Hi, Lisa. How, How are you? Very well. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. All right. Well, we were just talking about you. Your ears must have been burning. <laughs> How is everyone was, this evening? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Um, no, I was just telling Michael about the different um, TV true crime shows that you've been on, Murder and Thirst and... Stranger in My Home, American Greed, uh, Snapped, and there are a few others. Um, yes, um, E Investigates, um, TLC, The Lottery Changed My Life, and the list goes on and on. Um, I have just been so humbled by the opportunity to appear on all of these crime shows um, the last decade that this story has taken such interest across the nation. So it has been phenomenal um, just how huge this story has become outside of Central Florida. Yeah. Well, you and um, you did really great work on with the Lakeland Ledger on the story, not only uh, while Abraham was missing, but also uh, once Dee Dee was, uh, finally arrested. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate that. I put a lot of heart, time, and energy into covering this story. Um, ten years ago, my day walking into the newsroom started like any other day. Um, and then uh, we had a story that appeared in the paper that we had our next lottery winner. And it was big news because at the time, he won the largest jackpot in the county's history. Well, immediately Mm -hmm. uh, the next day, um, the IRS came looking for 
Shakespeare because he owed back child support. And so before he could enjoy these winnings, um, he had to pay out a settlement um, to his uh, his son's, his first son's mother. And so he didn't uh, enjoy how the story painted him to be a, a deadbeat father. And there were people in his entourage that told him that he needed to tell his side as well as some other things that he was getting into. And so uh, there were individuals who brought my name up because of my solid reporting that I did in the community and the reputation that I built for myself. And so I met him at a law firm, and then, um, you know, he just had this real um, serious look on his face, and it was quite intimidating. And I can tell you, and anybody can tell you here in the community, that I'm not easily intimidated because I have Mm – had my share of unsavory characters that I've interviewed throughout the years. But, you know, it was so exciting because everybody wanted to know what it was like from his perspective to have won the lottery and what he had planned to do uh, with his winnings. And um, once we got through all the heavy stuff, you know, he said that he was a good father. Um, He, um, believed in taking care of his responsibility and he was going to set up a fund, which he did a trust fund so that his son will always be taken care of no matter what. And then he began to talk about, uh, nothing about his life has changed. He will still pick up pennies off the ground. He went to Denny's to get breakfast. Um, he bought a used Rolex watch from a a pawn shop. And uh, the only thing that really showed off his wealth was the BMW he drove and the million dollar home that he lived in. Um, If anything, Mm -hmm. being a multimillionaire gave Shakespeare power and he wasn't the type to really flaunt his wealth. His wealth gave him respect and that's what Shakespeare wanted most above everything else. Right. But then over time, it, it kind of seemed like uh, people weren't really true friends. Some weren't true friends. They were just, you know, out for what they could get with his money. So Shakespeare had a lot of people in his inner circle who um, took advantage of his kindness uh, Shakespeare was very benevolent. It made him felt good to give away his money so easily. If you wanted mm-hmm. uh, $500 uh, because he was so illiterate and couldn't read or write or count, he would give you $5,000. Uh, and and these were not exaggerations. Uh, there have been plenty of stories and, and, and several people that I've interviewed uh, who witnessed firsthand him giving his money away and um, his benevolence. Um, there was a young lady who wanted to open up a, a group home, and Shakespeare met her at a bowling alley, um, just a chance encounter, uh, and he gave her several thousand dollars. Now, one of his friends and his entourage convinced him that he could essentially be uh, the hood's and this is what I typically describe 
uh, stimulus package uh, by being the the new Bank of America for those who could not get loans from banking institutions and the like. And so mm-hmm. a lot of his agreements were verbal. Some were written down. So he would loan massive amounts of money to people uh, for various things. Um, he would purchase cars and houses, uh, among other things, uh, with the intent that he would be paid back. Well, Shakespeare had a hard time tracking these people down for payments and getting them to pay. And so um, one day he went to a minority and women uh, contractor conference where he met uh, Doris uh, D.D. Donegan and more. And she said that she wanted to write a book about his life. And at the time, his realtor was with him. And she said that she sounded so smooth and convincing because his realtor was kind of cunning herself um, Mm -hmm. in in terms of what she was able to muscle out of Shakespeare. And so from that encounter, Shakespeare and um, Dee Dee developed a quick friendship. Uh, She owned a medical staffing business, and she presented herself to be an astute businesswoman. She didn't need Shakespeare money by all indications from what he could gather. Um, And she flaunted her wealth. Um, The exterior of what she wore, what she drove, and just her activities, she would send a limo uh, to a convenience store where Shakespeare was known to hang out, and uh, the limo would take them to the hard walk where they would gamble. Well, Dee mm-hmm. Dee looked at Abraham as easy money, and she was able uh, the to present herself as his new financial advisor. She got close enough to him that she started putting all of his holdings in her company's name, um, from major accounts to even the house he was living in. And when mm-hmm. when I interviewed her, she said that, you know, he was practically begging her to take the house, and she claimed it was such a good deal, she couldn't pass it up. So during the course of her building this quick friendship with um, with Abraham, she managed to push all of his close associates away. And her voice became the only voice that he would listen to over time. And one thing about it, Dee Dee was able to do what most others could not do um, through his business dealings, and that was to get some of the most hardened people in the community to pay up on debts that they own. She knew all the Mm -hmm. legal um, uh, wrangling in order to get people to pay up. And some of these people... They had served time in prison and the like, and they didn't want to go back. And that wasn't the case for everybody. But, again, you know, she knew the legal maneuvering to muscle uh, these people into doing um, her bidding and and, and to pay Shakespeare back. So um, in the beginning, 
Abraham would go around and introduce Dee Dee and say, okay, this is my uh, my new associate. She's going to be handling all my financial affairs. So because uh, Shakespeare became her passport into the community, um, people began to recognize, oh, well, we better start listening to her. And what was interesting is, and what makes this story so unique is you had this white woman that would so freely walk around uh, the inner city uh, black uh, community, and she just threw her weight around, you know, pun intended, uh, to get mm-hmm. what she wanted and get what she needed. And so it was around um, April 2009 when people start hearing from Shakespeare. And Shakespeare told me during my first interview with him that he would change his number so much because he got tired of people asking him for money. People would be lined out of his mother's house waiting for him to arrive so they could ask him for money. And um, a lot of people just sort of chalked it up of, well, maybe he did get tired and decided to disappear on his own because during that time there were so many stories that were weaved in terms of where was Shakespeare, what happened to him from he was Mm -hmm. laying in the Miami hospital dying from AIDS to um, he decided to go live in the Caribbean island. I mean, it was just one story after another. And when I finally got a chance to talk to D.D. Moore, it was during the fall, and I already heard rumblings in the street from different individuals that uh, she was somebody that people needed to watch out for. Everybody was suspicious of this woman, but no one really got curious enough to get law enforcement involved. And uh, Didi had, at the time we didn't know it, but Didi had possession of Shakespeare's phone, so she was able to still communicate with people that he knew and of the facade that it was him. So text messages were sent and the like, but no one talked to Shakespeare by telephone. So when she reached out to me, she thought she was going to use the newspaper as a part of her grand plan uh, to make it the, the legitimize Shakespeare disappearance. And when she called me, mm-hmm. She she presented herself to be like a whistleblower. So she was questioning how um, the trust fund for his oldest son was being maintained. And I keep saying oldest son because prior to Dee Dee coming into the picture, uh, Abraham had met a young woman named Centoria Butler, fell in love with her, uh, got her a breast enhancement, and they were living it up. They would travel together and do all kind of things together. And she ultimately got pregnant. And then when uh, Dee Dee came into the picture, their relationship went south. The son was born. Uh, their relationship was strained. And she started to take him to court to ask for child support and the like. And mm-hmm. uh, Dee Dee spun lies and, and, and just made him suspicious of Centoria because she was asking for child support. 
So when I talked to Dee Dee by phone, and, and she even my first initial conversation with her, she sounded really convincing. And I was taking notes. Some, something in me say, take notes on what she's telling you. Now, at that time, I didn't tell her I was working on a story or anything like that. But I had her on my to-do list to reach out and try to find her. But before I could call her, she was already picking up the phone calling me. So mm-hmm. I said, I said, Didi, I said, you sound like, like a, 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 I was just playing into her, her persona and, and just saying, oh, you sound like a saint and everything. And I said, this all sounds good. But I said, you know, a lot of people are saying in the streets that Shakespeare is dead. And she said so matter of fact, and it rolls so quickly off her tongue. Abraham isn't dead. And I said, well, if he isn't dead, I need to prove it. And I need to get a story in a newspaper because everybody is questioning his whereabouts in the community. So she told me that he was living with a Jamaican girlfriend in the Orlando area and um, everything was put in her name and uh, so that no one could easily find him. And I said, well, Didi, I really need to talk to him. I said, can you set up an interview? And she was, she sounds so sure of herself. Yeah, yeah, I can set up the interview. Well, two weeks went by and I haven't heard anything from Didi. Then uh, we get this missing persons report that comes out from the sheriff's office. Well, I had so much juice on what the information I had already gathered that when I sat down to write the story, it was more than just saying, you know, lottery one, Abraham Shakespeare is missing. I was able to add so much depth and breath to the story that it literally drew um, Dee Dee out of the shadows and mm-hmm. to come forward because at that time I was calling her like crazy, even when they put out the, the press release. And so it hadn't hit the television, news, or any print products. Everybody was trying to get the story just as much as um, I did. And at that time, Shakespeare had already been established as a local celebrity because one of his former colleagues, because um, he was a, a truck driver assistant at the time that he won the lottery, and he had sued him claiming that Shakespeare stole the winning ticket. So that became major news because he had fame mm-hmm. attorney uh, Willie Gary representing him. And so that got a lot of media attention. So all of those elements combined and the fact that he had an epic name sort of kept Shakespeare in the spotlight. So mm-hmm. when the sheriff's office put out the, the, the bulletin that he was missing, well, okay, I was able to add so much information because of that conversation. And so Didi was real upset when I was able to reach her by phone. And I said, Didi, if you want to clear your name, I said, you need to come in and you need to talk to me. So I had a long conversation with my editors. I said, I've invited her to our house. Uh, and when I mean our house, the, the newsroom for an interview. Mm-hmm. And so um, 
I already knew the questions, and we started, you know, digging into her background, her company's background, and at that time there wasn't a whole lot of indication that there was anything devious going on with her company. I mean, it was it was making a lot of money from what we could gather. So, you know, the the strategy was almost like let's play good cop, bad cop, and, you know, I was going to be aggressive with my questioning with Dee Dee, and I knew everything that I wanted to ask her, and I said, look, you know, um, don't believe anything that she said, because I knew right off the bat that she was guilty. I mean, and, and mm-hmm. just things that she said in, in our conversation that wasn't lining up. And see, the thing is, when Dee Dee sought me out, I don't think she realized I knew as much as I did about his friendships, his relationships with other people in the community, and just everything about him from the time that he won to the time that he disappeared. I don't even think she mm-hmm. realized that I was the one who initially wrote the story after he won the lottery. So right. here she- it is. She was trying to turn around and use me, not realizing that I had so much on her. Mm-hmm. So she, she really. Sorry, she's she's diabolical, but not smart. Exactly, exactly. And uh, the 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 thing is, I saw right through um, the web of lies that she was spinning. And mm-hmm. when it came out that he had disappeared, I literally walked the streets talking to people, which is kind of unheard of now in the, in, in the journalism newspaper business. I knew where to go. I wasn't afraid to go to the convenience store where he hung out in the hood um, where he lo- enjoyed being seen and, you know, just randomly talking about to people. And there was this one guy um, I was told that, you know, was best friends with Abraham, and he gave me an earful. And you know, he brought up race, the, the the fact that she, you know, so freely walked around um, and, mm-hmm. you know, just really muscled her way. And I looked at this guy and I said, well, how do y'all let, how you let this woman come in here and, and, and just pretty much um, take control of the situation like this? And see, what it was, Dee Dee, she was able to get a lot of the people to do her bidding because she kept up the act of Shakespeare's benevolence. So at the time she was threatening people to pay up, she also had to give some of that money back. You understand? Mm -hmm. And so as long as she kept the money flowing, nobody really questioned what was going on. And it came down to his cousin, Cedric um, Edom. That was the one who reported him missing. And Shakespeare had bought his cousin a house in a tra- traditional historic neighborhood um, in in Lakeland that was, mm-hmm. you know, a showpiece in its heyday. And when I went to go interview the cousin, he showed me all kind of receipts where he was paying on, back on the house to his cousin um, as well as Dee Dee. And so uh, Dee Dee had tried to take advantage of him and she threatened him for the last time, and that's when he went to authorities. But it's sad that it took that one incident because I 
question if I would be on this phone having this interview with you if it wasn't for that one single incident. Because you have to think about it, from April to the fall of 2009, nobody, I mean nobody cared enough, including his family members, God bless them all, Mm -hmm. to question his whereabouts because Shakespeare was a creature of habit. He did everything the same way every day, and most importantly, he always checked in with his mother. Right. So no one thought enough about his well-being to say, hey, I'm going to get law enforcement involved and find out where he is. I mean, when you used to seeing somebody every other day or – talking to him every couple of days and then all of a sudden it just goes silent cold turkey it's just unbelievable mm-hmm. and you know i and the, go ahead i'm sorry the, the sheriff's office here in polk county is to be commended because this was a case that they did not let rest this wasn't a case that they only worked from eight to five they live, breathe, eat, and drunk this this case just like I did. I mean, there were plenty of mm-hmm. times I wasn't getting home until after midnight, either because I was interviewing, talking to people, you know, working late, um, pouring over, over documents and the like, because I wanted to solve this case as much as the investigators, and I gained the respect of the homicide division because there was so much information that I was reporting. I was literally one step ahead of my peers in the media industry because um, I just had so many sources in working this case. I mean, I authentically Mm -hmm. and truly investigated his disappearance, and this was truly an investigative piece for the ledger. In right. every aspect of the world. Yeah. You know, and everything I've read, I think one of the things is first people knew what he had been going through with with pleas for money and how he had grown tired of that. So maybe they believed the stories and were trying to respect his autonomy. And I mean, I, I she's overwhelming, to put it bluntly. So you just want her to shut up. So you don't question her. You just believe her and have her go on her way. And it may have also been afraid to get police involved because Dee Dee was telling people stories about underage girls and drug deals and assaults on prostitutes. And blackmail, so, you know, she was making it look like if you talk to the police, Abraham's going to prison. Well, she definitely had a way of being cunning and spinning Mm -hmm. these lies. I, I would definitely agree. But I still say that just think about the the friends you have and family members you have in your inner circle. And mm-hmm. if they don't hear from you two or three months straight, if they care enough about you, they're gonna start questioning your your, your whereabouts. So that that was the the oddest thing that happened. And, and and the thing about it was, 
when you look at from the time that Shakespeare disappeared to the time he was officially announced as being missing, and then I would say in a matter of like four months' time, uh, the detectives had a location where his body was and -hmm. were digging for it. I mean, that... That's I mean we think about murder cases right now that are still being reported um in the news and people are still you know law enforcement and other agencies they're still looking for the murder suspect or they're still looking for a body and it's just amazing all all of these these things makes the elements of it makes for a really good story. And I think that's mm-hmm. what the fascination because you have, to, you have to understand that this is a headline that you do not read every day. A white woman killing a black man, an uneducated black man who went from poverty to providence literally overnight. That's just not a, a, a headline you read. And so I firmly believe this is why there has been so much excitement and such interest in this story. While just about every major crime show in the country has wanted a piece of this story because, again, it's truly epic in so many Mm -hmm. ways. I agree, and well, that's because Dee Dee's lies are such humongous whoppers that you know when you think about them. I, I think I I understand you taking notes. That was a great idea because then you could see where things didn't add up, didn't make sense. Because some of the things that she says make absolutely no sense, like saying she doesn't like how the trust is being administered. It's none of your business. And 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 that was the red flag for me. It's like why would she take such a big interest in something she has absolutely nothing to do about? Mhm. Because and, she and, wanted and to get that I money did, too. Yes. That's exactly what it was. That's exactly what it was. And then here here's the crazy and, thing. Um, because there there are so so much of about this case that didn't make the light of day, and after we were done with the interview, it was around the Christmas holidays, and I remember her giving me a hug in the newsroom afterwards, and I just remember the feeling. I I, I said, "Oh my gosh, I'm being hugged by a murderer." That literally was mm-hmm. my reaction because I knew from day one who I was dealing with, and she, and she sent me a text saying. Oh, Marissa, I really appreciate you. Um, I, you know, I, I want to get you something for Christmas and this and that. And it was, it was just, oh, and the crocodile mm-hmm. tears, tears uh, that she cried during the interview. And I had to really prep, uh, you know, because I was the only female sitting in, well, along with Dee Dee. And so, you know, there were the other, the photographer and then my editor, you know, were men, and and so I, I said, listen, do not fall for her act. I told them, mm-hmm. and, and it was just like they started softening up, and because if you 
if you listen to the audio when when I interviewed and, and see the thing is I knew what I had from day one. So my intention during that interview was to make sure I got video and she was like, Oh, I don't look good and they they caved in. And when I think back, I wish I and mm-hmm. she didn't even want us to take our picture. And I said, Look, and I was very forceful. I said, you are going to take this picture. We need the picture. Okay, okay. You know, I, I had to be forceful about that. And that was the picture that appeared everywhere nationally. So when ABC Nightline and a lot of, when, when the case was really, really hot, and at that time uh, they didn't uh, arrest her, uh, and she she wasn't named, you know, as the, the, the killer uh, you know, that exploded. All the information we had from the audio to the photos, I mean, this story, this single event made so much money. If you want to talk about dollars and cents, made so much money for the ledger because we had other media outlets seeking us out to get the photos and the audio mm-hmm. and all of that. I mean, no one had really had the pictures except for some of the other news outlets that had uh, video from court when he was being sued for his his right. from his uh, former colleague. But outside of that, you know, we were the ones who had uh, the stuff on Dee Dee, who she was. And so it was very gratifying for me that I was so forceful during that interview because had I not been – all the stuff that we were able to get out of that interview that subsequently other media outlets used would not have been out there. Mm-hmm. I listened to the 40-minute clip, and I listened to the 12-minute clip, and I would love to hear the full three hours, but I haven't found it. It, it, there should be audio of it somewhere online, but I'm telling you, it was, and uh, I knew when I was doing the interview that it would probably become a part of evidence for investigators. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it was so funny because I was actually talking to people in the homicide division, and it was like, oh, Marissa, you something else because we played that, and they listened to my entire interview. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot, during that time, a lot of people were saying, you know, the sheriff's office should hire you to be a part of their investigative team because you really did a phenomenal job, and da 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 da, and so on and so forth. So it it was like, it was this kind of story is every journalist's dream. It is the one type of story that you would hope that would land in your lap that you can make an impact with that. Mm-hmm. You know, journalists are sleuth at heart, and being able to solve a case is something that most journalists romanticize about. And I got that opportunity to do that. You did. And it is, but I guess in a way, you know, if she'd been able to keep her mouth shut, we might have never found out. That is correct, and she really flaunted the 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 wealth too because she had a boy toy at a time, 
And mm-hmm. she bought him a Corvette. And I actually had a chance to talk to him. Char Krasinski. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I remember talking to him on the phone. And it was just like he just felt so sick to his stomach because he didn't realize what was going on. But he had the opportunity to meet Shakespeare and everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, immediately everything that Dee Dee bought him, he turned over to law enforcement. Right. And he didn't want any parts of it. And so yeah. uh, just just everybody felt like they had the wool pull over their eyes dealing with Dee Dee because she was so, so convincing mm-hmm. so yeah and she was lucky because she titled a lot of stuff in his name but he was an honest person so and he's I not going to take her. advantage of that you I, know, spoke she, Didi, I spoke with Didi the day before she got arrested that night and I got tipped off um, and when I was tipped off the the information that was given to me was like, you don't want to be beat, Marissa. And I was like, I don't think she's going to talk to me. Well, you got to try. And so I texted her. I said, Didi, you might as well face the music. Um, you better tell me everything because I'm your last hope. I mean, I was playing her like a fiddle. And mm-hmm. I said, I need to know. And, well, you know, because you're going to jail and da 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 and she texts back, because I didn't think I would get a response. And she said, I did not pull the trigger. And see, at that time, when, when Shakespeare's body came up out of the ground, we mm-hmm. were unaware how he died. So they hadn't released right. yet the manner. Where we don't know if he was burned. We don't know if he was stabbed. None of that, right? Because law enforcement, mm-hmm. they held that close to the vest. So can mm-hmm. you imagine the next day when it appeared in the paper, and that was our headline, I did not pull the trigger. And so our sheriff went on the local news and said, you, you know, shortly after that, who else would know that except the killer? And then it comes to find mm-hmm. out that, so she uh, essentially confessed in print. And then it then mm-hmm. when um, the autopsy comes back, he was killed two two gunshots to the chest. Now we didn't find that part out until after she told me the last time I interviewed her, I did not pull the trigger. Mhm. All right. Now, what were your thoughts about Greg Smith? So Greg Smith was the confidential informant that worked closely with law enforcement on on the case and uh, he was one of um, the people that I spoke of in terms of who Didi got to do getting and um, Didi paid him to make a bogus phone call uh, to his mother and and deliver a, a letter and so law enforcement had been keeping tabs on him and said, look, you either play on our team or if you continue to play on her team, you're going to jail. And so uh, from that moment, Greg made a a decision to 
do what was necessary so that law enforcement could capture Dee Dee. Mm-hmm. And he was very instrumental to the case as well because he further see the 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 roles had reversed because at that time Dee Dee was starting to get desperate. Law enforcement was putting pressure on her, and so the same way that Dee Dee would use to um, take advantage of people that Shakespeare knew, including Shakespeare, uh, that same trick was played on her, and she didn't even realize it because she mm-hmm. was so focused on not being caught that she couldn't even see that Greg was using her own game on her to finger her as the killer. So towards the end, um, Greg managed to tell her that, hey, I know this guy, he's going to be convicted for life. He's going away to prison. Um, He'll take the rap if you pay him $50,000 so his family would be taken care of. And she ate it, hook, line, and sinker. Mm -hmm. And so um, she agreed to it. She drew out on a piece of paper where his body was buried. Okay? And Mm -hmm. they were – Greg also convinced her to uh, show him where the murder weapon is because he was saying, well, we got to get rid of the gun. I'll help you get rid of the gun. And then a lot of the, these conversations and everything, uh, law enforcement was able to get recordings of. And Greg was so genius, he had a um, a red bull can that he put the microphone in because he didn't want to wear the wire on his body, mm-hmm. thinking that that would be the first place that Dee Dee would try to check. So whenever he met her, like in the parking lot at different places and the light. Um, they hid the microphone in the can, and she didn't even notice. Mm-hmm. That was ingenious. So and he, he even brought it in the hotel room where she was writing a letter to Shakespeare's mother. Yeah. So everything so it's law enforcement was able to clear. document her, yeah, her activities and gain more evidence. I mean, she was creating evidence for them to right. – Pin the murder on her. Right. I mean, by her own by her own words and by her own actions, Didi Moore convicted herself. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And she, to this day, does not see that. She's still telling the story that she's innocent and Didi Moore mm-hmm. was convicted of his murder without the chance of parole. She'll never see Correct. the light of day again. Correct. And I, I think but as more this- time goes by, she's gonna realize that, you know, no matter what she says or what she does, um, she'll never get off for his murder. I don't know. Her last couple of interviews, she's, you know, she's still trying to to sing her song and dance and, you know, gets pissed when people don't believe her. 
But she is quite once again she's changing. Yeah, she keeps coming up with new stories. I'm surprised because you once called her a saint that she did not say you were one of her witnesses that would exonerate her. Because you knew she was doing all these good things. Because that's the funny thing is she's she's the source of all the exculpatory information that she claims witnesses would have testified to. Well, she knew I wasn't going to exonerate her because, again, from that very first time that I spoke with her over the phone, I I was able to take that information and synthesize it. And put mm-hmm. together a more expanded missing person story. So again, and, and and investigators with the sheriff's office, when they saw that piece that came out, I know in their head they were thinking, "Wow, Marissa, she has a whole lot more information going on right now than we do." And that's mm-hmm. how it was because you know my my reporting was very critical. To their investigation. Oh, it was almost like definitely. a soap opera. Like we were, uh, I constantly reported on every little aspect of this story. I mean, people couldn't wait to pick up the newspaper to find out what was mm-hmm. the latest and greatest case. I mean, it was great for us. It, it was like it it um, birthed new life in the journalism again. Mhm. I mean, to as a, as a journalist, I can't tell you what it meant to have such a good, captivating, compelling story to get people to want to read and stay up mm-hmm. on current events. I mean, and, and matter of fact, I was sitting in a meeting with um, our publisher at the time. And he showed us on a chart a spike in our sales, and it was right along the time that I was reporting on the Shakespeare case. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, have you considered writing your own book about the case and about so your I your asked, role? I get asked that question on a daily basis, and my struggle is I don't even know where to begin um, in terms of do I just only tell – uh, retelling of the facts all again, or we my experience around the retelling of the facts is something that I have strongly considered. I would love to mm-hmm. write a book um, about this case and all what I endured because there were some other things that had that I experienced uh, through reporting on this case. Um, I think this would be a great mini series, a movie. Uh, I I can't mm-hmm. wait until the day, you know, where I'll get that call and I'm being told that, you know, we want you to advise on it. You know, we're going to turn this into a movie or because when you look at, I can't even recall any crime story that has appeared as many times on all the various crime shows and in publications and in podcasts. Like this single story, right? I mean, literally, every outfit has told this story time and time and time again. So it's just, you know, I I sat for a murder in the thirst last year in <clears throat> California, 
And then mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be featured on a new crime show on TV One in July called Secret City. So the interest okay. is still strong. Yeah, the interest is still strong out there um, for this story. Yeah, I think it is. It's it's all the it's the lottery and the rags to riches, and then. You know, for me, it's that someone could be so diabolical as Dee Dee was. And you just, you can't believe it. And then seeing, there's, there are so many stories and nuances and, and things. Every time I read about it, I find something that I didn't know about and see it in a different light. For example, years ago, when I first read about it, I kind of thought the prosecutor's theory of Abraham threatening her led to the murder. But now I think that she convinced him to leave town, but he was suspicious. He wouldn't stay gone for long because of his mama. And so she decided she had to kill him because she would do anything to keep that car. She'd do anything to keep millions of dollars. And that she you just loaded him to the office that she was she was gonna give him the cash to go get out of town. And, you know, because I he strikes me more laid back than aggressive and threatening. Well, and you, you know, know I didn't know the him. Biggest, the few things I saw. The biggest crime, and if the family was sophisticated to follow up on it, was all the shenanigans that happened at the bank. Because I, I still scratch my head on how did the bank so easily, they knew the man couldn't read or write. So how did they so right. easily allow this woman to come in and take control of all his finances without blinking an eye. I mean, even if the bank right. would have contacted authorities and saying and questioning, you know, we feel like this woman is taking advantage of Shakespeare, but they did absolutely nothing. They were well, with what was going on. The uh, I have some good news for you. The estate did file a claim against the bank. I'm not going to name it. And that case apparently was settled. Potentially for close to what the estate was seeking, which was the $1.095 million that was deposited initially into the account. Well, they probably got very, very close to that. Um, I don't trust the people running the estate because of things that have happened. It's the one thing that I wish before I retired myself from the journalism um, industry that I could have um, done more to investigate. And um, it's a sad commentary. Because um, I don't think his children were able to get what they were, what they deserved from the estate. 
because um, they're they're of age now, both his sons. And in addition mm-hmm. to that, uh, well, at least the second one, um, he's still young in school and everything. Yes, but he's about eleven. Let me tell you about it. Yeah, let me tell you about an incident that happened with the second mother, and uh, the the attorneys representing the state. Uh, and I saw the email that was sent. Uh, they offered her one of the homes that was a part of his portfolio. And she told mm-hmm. me when she went to go see it for the first time, they had to climb through the window to get into the house. And there was all kind of issues. And they were making her pay on the house. And then they told her she had to go file for homestead exemption. Well, she didn't own the house. Because when she brought it to my attention, I'm like, how are they going to tell you to file for homestead? Because I looked up the records on the house, and, and it sure enough, it was listed in the state's name. And I'm like, and you're not on the, you know, you're not listed in, in the property tax uh, um, document. Mm-hmm. So the same thing that happened in Shakespeare, unfortunately, is happening it's- all over again. To, to the kids and, 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 and to the mothers. Because the mothers okay. are now being taken advantage of. You right. know, and the and older so son that, is an adult. The older now. son is an adult. But yeah. And it, it makes me very <clears> upset <throat> that, that the estate has settled. And I know the mothers are nowhere near seeing the the amount and I'm I'm sure they'll claim legal fees and, and this, that and other, which is fine, but I feel like a bulk of that money should go to the children. And and the mm-hmm. parents don't even know how the the even question how to get that money. <clears throat> right. Again, you got un- a lack of sophistication of the people and then some very sophisticated people um, involved. You know, I would, because the moms, because they weren't married, aren't necessarily entitled to anything, but the children are 100%. And, in fact, it should be 50% to son number one and 50% to son number two. Yeah. Um, and I think part of the so, complication is also that Shakespeare didn't have a will when he died. So then somebody was appointed. They had to recover everything from Dee Dee, and it's gotten out of hand. That is correct. So I just, you know, I wish some attorney here locally would try to get justice for the family. I mean, despite whatever the opinions are of the mothers, you know, somebody should make sure that the children are uh, justly due, you know, what is given. Correct. Correct. Um. Yeah, that that would be an estate attorney would be the best person. And if the you know Moses and and Miss 
Butler could get together and go, you know, hire an attorney and have him file a claim against the estate and, you know, get an accounting to see what they've recovered and, and how it was dispersed. Mm-hmm. So, but that is, that is a shame that his sons are, are not, um, not being treated fairly by people who have an interest or, or have a duty to treat them fairly. And see, yeah. the thing about it is the way how the attorney got involved was because when Shakespeare set up um, that trust, he had a guardian. His son had a guardian assigned to that mm-hmm. trust. And so from there, I don't know how they managed to make themselves in charge of the estate, but from there, that's how they got involved. And it's actually criminal, criminal that they are getting away with it. All because they know the legal sophistication. Same thing with Didi. But... When I when I get invited to do speaking engagements, I always share the importance of reading and writing, especially mm-hmm. when I go into the school. And I tell students all the time, I said, you can be easily taken advantage of if you don't know, if you don't take the time to learn things. Correct. If you don't make sure that you know how to read and write. Correct. And this is a classic case of that. And it is really sickening what Dee Dee did and is even more sickening what the estate is doing to the kids. Mhm. Yeah, I would I if I were in Florida, I would know probably 20 attorneys to at least maybe get together and you know, and I work for attorneys on paralegal it may also be that they're not the attorneys are not adequately explaining what's going on yeah, yeah. and what you know why certain costs were what they were um, but sometimes there's a there's also a breakdown in communication. I've I've seen it happen many many times, um, and but that's where you get, and you know a neutral, objective attorney to look everything over and then explain. Uh huh. But I will look into that because you know the the court records are online, and I'll see if there are any accountings or anything filed in the estate because I know in Louisiana everything has to go through the court and especially where there are minors involved everything has to go through the court and the judge has to approve yep every penny and if he doesn't think I've worked with personal injury and if, if he doesn't think a settlement is fair 
for a minor, he's not going to approve it. If he thinks the expenses are too high, he's not going to approve it. And so I'll look into that and let you know what I find. I would be interested in that for sure. Okay. Yeah, I'll look into it, see if any accountings are filed and if there have been any distributions and um, see what what's what. And um, I think the older son would have probably just turned 18 when everything – because everything was also held – in abeyance while she was on trial. Uh-huh. So they couldn't really move things forward well, in the was, recovery until after she was, was convicted terms, in 2012. That was the terms of the trust, too, that he would get the money when he turned 18. Okay. Well, at least the oldest. All right. So. Right. I mean, there was no, there was no trust set up for the youngest son, but... The fact that the state exists because I I've met the attorney over the state twice and then like when I started questioning how he was doing things he started avoiding me but I mm-hmm. he I, um I was able to capture his interest briefly because we figured out on our own how much the state stood to gain and I think looking over all of the assets and everything at the time. There was about $3 million that could have been recovered through items that did he purchase and what we figured that was probably still in some bank account somewhere. So mm-hmm. we estimated about $3 million of his money that was out there. Right. And for his two sons, if it was growing interest, that's a sizable amount of money. If it all didn't go to legal fees. Correct. And there's also a problem if the houses, if the properties haven't been sold and they're not being maintained. Uh-huh. Because but I think, they have I a, think what a, lot a fiduciary the, duty. The, I think with a lot of the properties that he had or that Didi acquired was sold off. And they re- received the proceeds to um, increase the holdings of the the financial holdings of the estate. Okay, I will look into that on the um, Polk and or Hillsboro County <laughs> records. It gets so confusing <laughs> because it, he lived in Polk County, but she was in Hillsboro. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I'll check um I'll check Polk and Hillsboro uh for the estate and see if any distributions or anything's been filed, if anything's been approved for the younger son. Um and it, you know, if there's any information about how that's <clears throat> that amount of money would probably be some kind of trust. Uh-huh. And, um, again, you know, it, and it may be a breakdown in communication of between 
the trustee and mom. So, but I will check and see what I can find. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I know you have an early day tomorrow, and you're an hour ahead of us. Yes. (laughs) But I thank you so much, and I look forward to seeing uh, Secret City on TV One. Yes, that will be coming out in July. In July of 2020? I will definitely be looking for it. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us tonight. Thank you. Have a great night. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <clears throat> wow. All righty, Michael. Oh, Lord. That woman was, uh, that woman was something else. She really, I mean, uh, she did a lot of work. I think, um, I think one of the advantages she had, she had a good reputation in the community. Right. I was so she was I able was to go and get talk to people and get them to open up where they might not have talked or been forthcoming with police. Right. I was more talking, Lisa, about the one uh, about uh, Doris though. Oh, Dee Dee. <laughs> yeah, she's special. <clears throat> yeah, she is she is very, very, very special. Um yeah, I wanted to I wanted to interview Marissa and let her um you know tell her story rather than trying to stick with the outline. Right, right. So um but I guess we can go now for listeners have heard part of the story and Marissa's uh, work and really it is if, if you you know have a an afternoon or an evening search Google and look for the Ledger articles it's a Lakeland Ledger mm-hmm. publication and right. um, you know they wrote great articles informative articles about a lot of aspects of the case and a lot of aspects of, you know, Shakespeare's disappearance and what was happening in the community. And, um, so, and actually I think what we may do is we may, we may revisit because she, uh, Doris has a pending Doris, has a pending state post-conviction claim, and we may revisit this one once that's <laughs> worked its way through the system. Yeah, definitely. I'm also interested in looking into the uh, the estate stuff now. Yeah, that's uh, something special. Like the fact mm-hmm. that the kids don't automatically get it kind of throws me off. There's a surviving. Well, it- it's, well, no, it's it's it, okay. It's it's going to be complicated. One of the things is that in some states, in most states, actually, 
if you don't have a will when you die, then somebody has to be appointed as an administrator, and they have to go out and they have to find all of your assets and all of your liabilities, and then they have to pay all your liabilities and whatever's left over is distributed to whoever your heirs may be. Right. If you have a will, then you know you you appoint an executor, and your executor is someone who knows what you have and knows where it is, for the most part, and you know is somebody who knows you, a business associate, a spouse, a child, an adult child, uh, who knows where everything is, knows what everything is, and you can get the process going takes about, depending on the size of the estate, can take up to 30 months, or it can be done in less than six. My dad's estate was pretty simple. He died in April. We had possession of the entire estate by June. But then we were responsible for if we wanted to sell things off and, you know, get money, which we didn't do. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I mean it. It's. Uh, but I, I'm. I'm gonna look into that estate issue that she raised. Absolutely. And there, there may be a variety of factors. Um, but I hopefully there. Hopefully Florida's like Louisiana, and they file distributions that show what they what assets were there, what liabilities were there, and how money was dispersed. Right. So, cross your fingers. I feel like we're going to get lucky, Lisa. I hope so. And I, you know, I, mean, I hope to find a winner here. Secretly, you know, I mean, in my heart of hearts, I hope to find that you know, these kids aren't being taken advantage of. Everything's on the up and up. It's just, you know, the 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 attorney or the or the trustee is just not doing what they should be doing and explaining everything adequately. Right. Um and, you know, I I, I don't know my experience sometimes clients get un unreasonable expectations and nothing you say or do can convince them that they're, you know, incorrect. Right. <laughs> so, I you know I I I've had clients get very upset because they're not um, their medical bills aren't being paid by a separate check from the insurance company because they don't think right. they should have to pay their medical bills out of their settlement. They think that that should be the insurance company. And you know I've seen ones who get upset at the attorney's fees being paid out of their settlement when they need that money. Mhm. So, you know, I I mean I understand but it's 
when you, you know, explain it to them in a way that they can understand, then, um, but some, and sometimes you can't explain it to them. Mm-hmm. We, we had an issue once that at another place and could not, for love of money, explain to the person. Right, and there, there was just no, <laughs> because there are some people in this world like Doris Didi Moore, who just don't want to recognize <laughs> that they're wrong. Unfortunately, you are correct. So, but uh, yes, for listeners, I think I, I, I think um, Marissa covered a lot of information. So when we revisit Doris, um, or I'll call her Doris. Hopefully, hopefully that pisses her off. Um, <laughs> when we revisit, we'll we'll go through the the facts of the case. Okay. This is crazy. I mean the the woman, the woman is is in the post conviction claims. She's naming all these witnesses that would testify to exculpatory facts. Based on things that she told them. Right. Um, at one point, for example, in one of the, the taped conversations between Greg Smith and Dee Dee Moore, the letter that Dee Dee wrote in Greg's presence to Abraham Shakespeare's mother, Dee Dee is telling, telling Greg, but it, he he brought his mom a letter. He sent his mom a letter. And she went to police and told them that. Why are they still investigating me? Right. I agree. And, you know, I I am I admire Marissa and her editor who sat in on that interview with Dee Dee. I admire Greg Smith very much. I admire Detective Clark and Detective Wallace and Detective – there was a third detective that I cannot remember his name. I'm so sorry, um, mm. who interviewed her because five minutes with Dee Dee in all these interviews, and I have this urge boiling up inside of me to say, just shut up. <laughs> you are right. lying. I know you are lying. If you are not going to tell the truth, don't speak. Right. I mean, I would have been sorely tempted to say, honey, you have a Fifth Amendment right to remain silent. Please use it. Huh. Right. <laughs> you heard a lot. Because, and she's delusional. Um, I, I, I sent you some clips to YouTube interviews. This is really what we need to do is we need to reschedule this show. You need to sit down and you need to watch these multiple interviews on YouTube. Okay. Okay. Because I want to have an interactive conversation with you. See, now we got to find the interviews again now. (laughs) After you see her in all her her fibbing glory. Oh, dear Lord. (laughs) Hey, is this the woman her dad says she tells the Phibius Fibs? Her father 
tell, you know, says she tells the Phineas fence. Hmm. Um, See, you may. Oh, wait. Oh, she. Okay, never mind. There's one with Matt Gutman from 2020. I'm going to, this weekend, I'm going to put together a list of links and send it to you in a Word document. Good, because I do not. I will uh, go because I have I have watched all the videos on YouTube. I do and not I will, have and in to fact do I'll go through and put them in kind of a chronological order. Okay. okay. Yeah, I don't have anything to do this weekend, so definitely send them all to me, and I'll watch them. Okay. All right. Um. So, and then the other thing I wanted to I I was uh, um. I do want you to do for the next time we talk about this case uh-huh. is um, the annuity versus lump sum payment option. Right, and I had misunderstood what you were talking about when you said that, but Correct. Uh, we will definitely continue. And write down to how an annuity works. Okay. Okay. I mean, it, an annuity, um, you've heard of structured settlement. Uh-huh. Yeah. Correct. Well, actually, actually. Kind of the same principle. I've heard of the, <laughs> I need to, I have a cash settlement and I need cash now or whatever. <laughs> Those commercials. I have a structured settlement, but I need cash now. Call. I ain't saying they name unless they pay us money. Right. <laughs> so, but, um, I'm Marissa. I just, I'm just, I didn't even realize how deep she went in this. Huh. Right. So, I mean, she, and she like was said, better than anybody. I mean, it's it's amazing to me just just how much she knew that she was able to actually manipulate the situation into where she mm-hmm. knew exactly what was going on from the beginning. Uh, well, I think um, the impression that I've gotten from her many interviews is she's she's just one of those people that's very intuitive. And so the first time she talked to Dee Dee and she was taking notes, and that's going to help her connect the dots or, or see where the dots don't line up. Right. And um, – but yes, yeah, she and Greg Smith each pretty much con the con and and Dee Dee's history she had a a fraudulent report and attempted insurance fraud case against her in two thousand one. She had a Lincoln navigator. See Dee Dee liked to live large. Right. But she was a CNA and didn't have the means. To live large. And so she had a Lincoln Navigator she could not afford. And she didn't, she was behind and it was going to get repoed. She didn't want to lose it. She told the bank officer she'd do anything to keep it. And then she stashed it over in Pasco County in the Tampa area. 
think it's in the Tampa area. And she um, then staged a kidnapping, carjacking, and claimed to have been raped. And gave very vivid descriptions of everything to police, but was eventually, you know, caught because somebody sees a story about a Lincoln Navigator being carjacked and the woman who had just asked him to hide her Lincoln Navigator so it could be repoed calls and reports it to police. Sometimes Dee Dee has, I think in most cases, Dee Dee has been undone by good people who do the right thing. True. Um, and then she was accused of stealing from Nextel when she was selling phones for them. She was supposedly a CNA, and she was po- supposedly great with the patients, but it's like she was a CNA for a couple of years, and then all of a sudden she's selling cell phones and working for a staffing service where she was accused of embe- embezzlement, and then where there was a mysterious fire that destroyed all of the records and documentation that the company could use to do its internal investigation. Mm-hmm. And then she made an agreement to repay $25,000 to that former employer and leave their employee. And then she decides to blackmail them. Huh. So she has a history of fraud theft, and deceit. Yeah, very much so. Um, And I think that she saw the stories about Shakespeare winning the lottery, and all of a sudden the the little hamster in her head starts running on that wheel, and she arranges to meet him, inserts herself into his life, and then he wasn't sophisticated. She gives the appearance of sophistication, but she really isn't that sophisticated or that smart. <laughs> and so, you know, she can get over on him, but somebody more sophisticated like Marissa Green or the Hillsborough and Polk County detectives, she's not getting over on them because they all saw through her. Immediately. Right. So, um, and then she was telling different stories. She wasn't consistent with one story. He went to point A because reason. And then that should have been, if that was the story she was telling everybody, nobody would have batted an eye. But she had all kinds of different stories. She would tell one person that he was trying to just avoid people asking for money. He would. She would tell other people that he was on video having sex with an underage girl. And that's the that's one of the diabolical parts. She was trashing his character and his reputation when he was buried in her backyard under a slab of concrete. Yeah. Um, 
And, I mean, even at one point she told people he he had gone to Haiti and that he either died of AIDS, died in the earthquake, or was unable to come home because of the earthquake. Hmm. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, she got, there's a, I think it, he might have been a Lakeland police officer. He, she kind of cozied up to him and then starts paying him for favors, like looking up, you know, who, who belongs to license plate numbers. When that is discovered, she throws him under the bus. He loses his career. He wasn't charged. Well, he was charged, but he wasn't tried and he was never convicted, but he loses his job. Um, And so it's ironic. Greg Smith, at Dee Dee's request, makes a phone call to Shakespeare's Abraham Shakespeare's mother from his own cell phone, and the police identify the cell phone, and then they're able to get geographic data, and they find it in you know the Lakeland parking lot of a mall. And who pulls up but Dee Dee Moore and hands the person in the car money. So when the when she leaves and he leaves, they follow him, pull him over, and he immediately tells them what's going on. And not only does he throw Dee Dee under the bus, which I think is karma for what she did to the officer, Troy Young, who she didn't deny what she did. She didn't apologize and say he didn't know, I didn't know. No, she threw him under the bus. Oh, yeah, yeah, I gave him all this stuff. I did this, I did that. Um, Greg Smith not only threw her under the bus, but he got into the driver's seat and backed the bus up over her. Right. (laughs) You know, I mean, because from that point forward, he was recording every conversation that they had. And, um, of course, you know, like the call to Shakespeare's mother came because detectives suggested that, you know, if Abraham doesn't call his mother, she's going to be really worried. So what does Dee Dee do? She waddles out and goes and finds somebody who will call Shakespeare's mother. And that's the other diabolical part. I mean, she was seeing this woman and taking her, you know, but it's always like, oh, I did all these things, these wonderful things for people. And it's like, no, you really did, because that's the mother of the man that you shot to death. True. And buried like trash behind your office. So taking her to the Holy Land and not Jerusalem you know, taking her to an amusement park called the Holy Land or Disney World is not really going to earn you a Nobel Peace Prize, baby. Yeah, that's going to be a negative. You know? <laughs> and when your time comes and you end up in the bad place, it's not going to be pretty for you. Even right. though you think you're such a great Christian. Um, so 
Battistiti's case, we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about her another time. Maybe once her state post conviction is done, we'll put her back on the schedule. And because it's crazy, it would take me another two hours to go through everything <laughs> that happened in this case, and it'll be fresh. Right. True. Whenever we talk about it again. So, and I think, I, you know, I think I'm about ready to call it on this one for now. Okay, well, let's do it. We'll revisit. We haven't got any calls. Nope. So, um, all right. All right. Thank you for listening. Oh. <laughs> you done, Michael? I promise. Mute yourself. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Clear and Convincing with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan. If you like our show and want to know more, you can find us on Facebook. Go to our blog at clearandconvincingpodcast.wordpress.com or follow me on Twitter at O'Brien LN. Join us on Tuesday, February 11, 2020 at 8 o'clock p.m. Central for Episode 49. State of Massachusetts versus Lizzie Andrew Borden. On August 4, 1892, the bodies of Andrew and Abby Borden were discovered in the home in their home in Fall River, Massachusetts, that they shared with Andrew's daughters Emma and Lizzie, and the family maid Bridget Sullivan. Lizzie's odd behavior after the murders and inconsistent statements to authorities led to murder charges and a trial in which she faced the ultimate punishment. In spite of the fact that Lizzie was acquitted after her jury deliberated for an hour and a half in 1893, controversy still surrounds the case. We'll talk about the facts as we know them, Lizzie's statements, her trial and acquittal, and the suspects and theories that are still being discussed today. Until then, have a great week and stay safe. Good night.